really pleased to be joined by Gillian Strain here. Um, we are tacking a couple of different talks together because we've been picking up some excellent things. So, But this is now Ponderings. So if you are joining us on Ponderings for the first time, do make sure you check out the website, ponderings.org.uk. And this is Gillian Strain of the Guild of Health. And we'll put some details up about her on the site in a bit. But we've just been exploring some different things, had some really interesting stories about her own walk of faith and different things like that. But we kind of started to get towards this, Gillian, when you said, um, could the Church of England go online? If you had been asked that two years ago, you'd say, no way. But obviously, lots of things have happened. Uh, we're now in June 2021. I keep I keep wanting to go back a year, but June 2021. <laughs> so we're kind of coming out of lockdown, we believe. We'll see what happens. But what do you see... What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is happening in the church or in Christendom, particularly across the UK? But if you've got a further afield you want to talk about, that'd be key. What, what do you think is happening? What's God doing? Yeah, it's interesting. I, as I said before, you know, one couldn't have imagined, you know, Mrs. Miggins, 98, with her with her iPad tuning in. And, and what's been extraordinary has been... Um, the real sense of community and, and and connection that's been engendered when the church doors shut, um, all of a sudden, and I, uh, as those doors physical doors shut, I think other doors opened, and I was very aware of the voices from our brothers and sisters in the disabled community, yeah. those suffering from mental health. Suddenly, they're like, "Well, now you know." Now you know what it's like mm-hmm. not to be connected. So I don't think we can ever, or we should ever shut the door and, and we should never forget the lessons of the ways in which physical church had been excluding so many from our societies. Um, but what I felt, and I, and I felt the, I felt it's so much easier to sit in my comfortable chair and criticize church leadership. And, and like all of us, we're dealing with simply unprecedented t- things at the time. But I, I, I think the shutting in the way we did uh, so quickly um, and and then the burden of, of the decision-making around opening has been put on the clergy uh, rather than uh, centrally has been a whole-scale dereliction of duty um, for of the Christian faith at a time when uh, the need was so great. Historically, the church, the very early church grew some scholars would argue, as a direct result of our ability to respond during plagues and pandemics. So in back, you know, in the very early church, there was a whole heap of people offering cures and, and things so you can get better. Um, but the Christian church did particularly well because its way of helping people find healing was by copying Jesus and looking at this parable of the Good Samaritan Jesus went to the ill and touched them. The good Samaritan, you know, anointed with oil and took care of the street. And so in the early church, the development of of hospitals in our monastic communities went right back to that service to the poor. And I I think when we shut our doors, we we did so for public safety. And that was a good thing. But we also forgot that we're here for the the holistic health and healing of our whole community. So what was lost it's really vital and I've heard a lot of chatter about some churches not reopening we'll just stay online and I and I I have deep worries and concerns about that because yeah. what we lose in that something really important about our humanity uh-huh. and the idea of working together 
of being able to touch, be in the same yeah. room is so vital to who we are. Yeah. I think that that whole thing about touch is really important. And of course, often we even hear those words in today's society and it's just considered to be, you know, talk about touch, it seems like it's a wrong thing. But I, I think that... Um, that I was considering some of my friends who are single and operate on their own and, and not near community and different things. And I realized I was due to have someone come to dinner and it could potentially be the first time that someone touched them in a year. Yeah. And, and I think that's, yeah, is uh, that's quite profound in that sense and, and that proximity and that coming into each other's uh, connections and and of course there are now a whole bunch of opportunities which we had to meet in gardens and to have six in the home and all that kind of yeah. thing and uh, and I think how we how we respond to that is is key um you talked a little bit about different communities of connection and different things like that how how do you do you think there's how would you play out that the thing about touch, the thing about connection, that kind of thing with things being absent, has it made you hungrier for some things to come back again? And, and, and what does that mean within a, a fellowshipping a, a church context in that sense? Uh, I was really struck how much I missed music right, and singing. Yeah. I'm not a musical person particularly, you know, I've never really been in a choir. Um, but I remember here where I worship at the cathedral here at Litchfield now and the presenter said, oh, they changed the guidelines last night. We're going to sing a hymn outside. I think it was on Palm Sunday. Okay. And I'm a very emotional person. I started to cry. Yeah. And I thought, I can't cry. I won't be able to sing if I cry. <laughs> so I like <laughs> put myself together in order to have the experience I obviously yeah. so longed for. Um and, and when I, I struck both in London, which I was a very urban and here is sort of like a country town, um, is the importance of our, our holy buildings, our holy spaces. Right. A couple of times in London, walking past, not my own church, but my, the Roman Catholic church, people just simply stood at the church door crying. Mm. Yeah, they'd gone there particularly to cry. There was something about okay. being in that holy place that had been prayed in for many years that they wanted. And I've seen it outside the cathedral here, people just coming to be near something so old and historic and somehow that roots us into, into what we're going through. And, and, you know, the people who built this are dead. The people yeah. who built this did it on a vision of something bigger and grander than ourselves and our time. And there's something about the loss of being in these holy spaces that I think is really important. And the danger now is we're starting, which is great that we're starting to unlock there's a danger we rush back into just doing things the way they were and right. we forget the le our potential lessons yeah gone through yeah. yeah and i think there is i think that's why where we kind of start putting on the threads like this of trying to work out what, what was missing and what was gone and i think even in terms of reflecting on the different approaches government had to what i would call lockdown one yeah. I mean, this time last year I'll kind of leap over lockdown two, which was yeah. slightly yeah. odd, but lockdown three, um, which has been uh, from December, or well, certainly for me from December, because I was in London right all the way through uh, to, in theory, June. Lockdown one felt to me it was about protection of the physical 
But lockdown three has felt like there's been some nuances there where we've allowed the support groups have been allowed and you were you could go and meet someone to exercise with them. And there was more, it felt like part of what we were able to do from a, from a faith and from a church perspective was to help government understand that we are more than a pair of lungs in that yeah. sense um, yeah. that need yeah. to be protected. Um, and I just wonder what, what things we have to learn. You've, you talked about the accessibility thing and 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 the online giving accessibility to people that potentially didn't have it before, but actually what we need to return to, uh, or I keep hearing people saying, well, let's not talk about returning, let's talk about how we go, you know, build build forward, which is an interesting. Uh, I understand what people are getting for. I think my yeah. tongue will just get knotted on it. Now. Building forward, build back better. Yeah, it's interesting the comparison. I think of the one and two. This, Number one team new and exciting and they can't do that, can they? Oh, they can. They have. How do we? And, <laughs> and I know that your work, you know, it's helped to support and inform the lockdown three. It was so much more, so much um, more thought and, and there's more appreciation of, of the importance of our, our spiritual health as well. Yeah. Uh, and I think I was really struck here on Sunday. We had an excellent sermon or I thought it was excellent. Was it you? It was it. It wasn't me. (laughs) My husband. It was a bishop, and she gave a very good sermon on death, right? And how we should, why we shouldn't be afraid of death. And it was very. uh, Now we maybe don't say this about the bishop very often. Very even. It was very straight Christianity with a bit of good Jungian psychology. Okay, it was fantastic. And I immediately thought, this is great. I'm going to publish this for the the Guild of Health because. This is an opportunity we have now is to talk about that massive elephant that's in every single room, which is death. Now, magazine articles in January, you know, get beach body ready 2021. I'm sure you've read them just like me, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I, I my beach body is is ready. Um, no, yeah. I'm hiring one. <laughs> uh, they don't mention Holland and Barrett won't mention it. Doctors find it quite uncomfortable a lot of the times, but we, we do death well. Right. And there's been death on such an unprecedented scale. You know, we now have a moment that we can help people really address that thing they're frightened of and and build. Because people, you know, I think by and large, many people don't come to church because they want to join the flower arranging rota or because they want to organize coffee mornings or whatever it is. But they've got deep spiritual needs, which are based around their 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 lives and their loved ones. And we can talk about health and healing and we can talk about how to die well. That's really important. So we had this fabulous sermon, Daniel, and there was this huge cue to speak to the bishop afterwards. And I thought, well, well, that's great. I'll I'll, I'll just email her and I'll get a copy of the sermon because she's a friend. And so I emailed her and she emailed back going, I had so much criticism. People oh. really, really didn't didn't they 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 had lots of points to pick with me about what I'd said. <laughs> and I just thought, well that's just because I know uh, I know what she said was good <laughs> like, and I'm quite confident in that because I've studied theology um, there's nothing wrong with what she said the problem was people didn't want to hear it right and there's a real danger now we just go back to nice English <laughs> British middle class let's go to church because it makes us feel better about ourselves um, and so I just thought mm, there's a battle here right now and there's an opportunity if we can be brave enough to help churches and worshiping communities be real places where people can come and address their fears and speak about them and it gets heard and it gets supported and helped along the way as we all need that and i think that the important thing 
one of the important factors kind of implicit in what you said is that actually leadership is not always about doing what's popular isn't it and yeah. there is there is a need to and i think part some there's been some criticism um certainly in some of the meetings that i've had where i've heard um faith leaders more or less ask the government to make decisions on things so that they've not had to deal with their parishioners um yeah. which is interesting there uh and they need to oh, that's very interesting they need to stick your neck out a bit it's much easier yeah. if the government does this closes that or what have you yeah. um, we have a running we have a running joke in faith action uh, about what the length of a religious service should be mm-hmm. um and uh, one of my colleagues very confidently <laughs> in one uh, meeting said it was 30 minutes um we know that was muted as something at one point but it never became government guidance but it's now become a running joke for us that it's 30 minutes and we think it's just because he likes to be in and out quite quick so uh, but uh, looking for government to to make these determinations but that's interesting because i wonder i mean um i i also sat in a meeting of and i won't tell you the person who said this but a very senior church leader Mm. it was a, a meeting around church mental health response a very senior church leader who had received criticism then asked this this is like a steering group that they uh-huh. used to help guide they actually the bishop said what is our up us what's that thing usp, USP yeah. what's our usp at the moment uh-huh. and i sort of look you know when you look around the zoom screen i'm like is anyone gonna say jesus christ risen from the dead anyone <laughs> and, and no one i'm like i'm gonna have to say it I'm going to like, I'm the least senior person. I'm going to have to say it. And the bishop in question wrote it down. <laughs> you might hear, you know, they might be making the shopping list. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but I just thought even asking that question at this moment, yeah. you need really brave leadership at the moment. Yeah. And, and it's not easy. I think that's, that's, that's the other thing. I think, um, and I know from our conversations before, Julian, total um, respect and, and certainly not want to be in the, in the feet of some of the, uh, in the shoes of some folk. Mm. But it is, and I, I wonder also as, as people, as, as fellow believers, it's interesting to talk about the queue of people standing up there, not, not to congratulate, but to criticise. You just wonder, actually, is that part of the problem that we... We're, we're all very good at pointing out what's wrong but actually what what's what's right as well is yeah uh, yeah um boy i, I realized if, like, if people queued up uh, to tell me what they didn't like about my talk it would uh, go on for quite some time it's curious i mean you perhaps you wouldn't say the same to your doctor or your lawyer or your solicitor who was trained in this in these matters in the same way as you feel and it's part of the conversation um but i and i think it's a burden of leadership it's, it can be incredibly lonely you stick your neck out yeah. especially these times yeah. And why so many clergy, you know, you're 40% more likely to have a mental health breakdown as a clergy person compared to your peers. Right. Because uh, it's right. an unsupported type of leadership. Yes. No, and, and that is, uh, oh. that's an issue in itself that we should look at. And we will be looking at it soon. Watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, I know that uh, you've got to dash off to other things and uh, I don't want to keep you any longer. Thank you so much for your time. Um, if you do want to, um, listeners do want to pick up a little bit more, um on what's going on do check out the website we'll put all full details what Gillian's up to on the ponderings website that's ponderings.org.uk 
and uh, there'll be other links to other podcasts to catch up on as well. So thank you very much for listening.